there. You're listening to the Collective Church Podcast, recorded live at Collective Church in Roanoke, Texas, with lead pastor Rob Carmack. Enjoy the sermon. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 25. So we've been looking through the book of Lamentations, as one tends to do around the holiday season. <laughs> and uh, we've, we've been kind of looking at uh, th- these different poems that have come out of the, the Babylonian exile, out of the, the season of um, despair and loss that, that, is, that was experienced by the, by the Judean people. And so today what we're going to do is we're not actually going to be looking at le- Lamentation. We're going to be looking at the circumstances surrounding what, what occurred that led to the book of Lamentation. And we're going to ask, is there an invitation here somewhere? In, in the midst of the despair and in the midst of the, the pain, is there something in here that, that calls out to us to keep reaching for joy and hope? So that's, that's kind of what we're going to be looking at today. So we're starting in the book of 2 Kings um, because the book of 2 Kings details kind of what happened that led to the need for a person to write the book of Lamentations. So 2 Kings beginning in verse uh, 2, we'll just go ahead and get it started. It says, this, uh, or actually we'll, we'll start in verse 1. So, so in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. He encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. So basically making it to where no one could go in or out of the city and essentially creating a trap so that anyone who comes in or out of the city will either be killed or turned away and basically trying to starve out the people until they are too weak to fight back or they let their guard down. So then it says in, in, chapter, in verse 2, it says, The city was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. So this is two years. So the siege takes two years. And, um, and it says, By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for people to eat. So the book of Lamentations was probably written about the sie- this siege and what follows it. And it makes reference toward the dilemma of, and, and so here we find out that the city has been, and one of the things that you're doing when you put a city under siege, when you, when you lock off the ability for anybody to enter or, or exit, is you're cutting off their food supply. So it takes about two years for the food supply to run out, and in the, which is why in the Book of Lamentations, there are sections where it talks about mothers wanting, wanting, like genuinely asking the question, is it time for us to eat our children? That's in the Bible. So it makes reference towards the, the dilemma of, of should mothers start eating their children. So the famine is so severe that cannibalism has become a real option. That's how bad things are in the midst of this. Of, of this. So it's not just like we're a little bit hungry. It's we are desperate and we're starving and we don't know what to do. So then in verse 4, it says... Um, then the city wall was broken through and the whole army fled at night through the, through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden. So the army has bailed, says, um, through the, ba- though the Babylonians were surrounding the city, they fled the army, the army that's supposed to be protecting this group of people fled toward the Arabah, but the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated and, and from him and scattered and, and, and he, he was captured. So in the ancient Near East, uh, as a king, let's say you're a king in the ancient Near East, your focus would be set towards not just ruling your city and making sure your city was as prosperous and as healthy and safe as possible, which obviously this king has failed at that. Um, but one, one of the other things you're trying to do is you're trying to establish a dynasty so that your kids can carry on when you leave. That's how you, like one of the marks of success of a, of a king in the ancient Near East is 
how, how many generations will follow me? And how many, how many uh, like, will my sons and their sons and their sons and their sons be able to carry on the tradition of, of holding the throne? So one of the highest marks of honor was to rule and then have your son rule after you and then so on throughout the generations. So if anything happens to your kids, it's not just a threat to your immediate family. It's a threat to your whole legacy as king. It's not just like, that's very sad for me. It's also like, what has happened to my legacy? So what does the king of Babylon do once he catches up to the king and his family? Um, so he, the king, was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where sentence was, was pronounced on him. They killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Then they put out his eyes, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. So, so n not only is the king captured, but the king is forced to watch the execution of his sons, and then his eyes are put out. So the last thing that he sees is the death of his children, is the end of his legacy. So this is pretty dark, heavy stuff. So if you're, if you're, for those of us who tell our kids they should read the Bible more, this is not the part portion that we, that we mean. Um, we mean like the the Lord is my shepherd and and all that business and love your neighbor as yourself. That those are the parts that we mean. We don't mean the part where the king is captured and his eyes are put out after he watches his sons be put to death. So that's what's happened here. So if you're a citizen of Jerusalem at this time, you've been besieged. There's a famine that's so bad that you've considered like cannibalism. And the king's sons have been killed and his eyes have been gouged out and he's taken, been taken hundreds of miles away to a foreign city. Things are looking really, really bad. And then in verse 8, it says, On the seventh day of the fifth month in the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Nebuchadnezzaradan, commander of the imperial guard and official of, of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, which, by the way, the temple of the Lord is the place where you believe your God lives. So it says, he set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army, un under the commander of the imperial guard, broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar, the commander of, of the guard, carried into exile the people who remained in the city, along with the rest of the populace and those who had deserted to the king of Babylon. So... Um, so one of the things that they would do, so it talks about carrying off certain people. One of the things that they would do is they would take the smartest of the young boys. In, in a, like if, if, you, if, you're, if your city has been besieged, one of the things that could happen is some of the smartest young men in your community could be taken off to, to this new city. And they would, what they would do is they would change their names and they would castrate them as a, as a way of basically saying, your people are done. We're erasing their names, we're erasing their heritage, we're making it impossible for them to reproduce. Um, and an example of this, by the way, is what happens in the book of Daniel. If you're familiar at all, I'm sorry, if you're familiar at all with the book of Daniel, it's basically about a group of young boys that this happens to. So if you're Jewish at this time, the temple was at the center of everything. You, you would visit it several times a year with your family. You would, you, would, you would think of this as the place where God dwells. It was generally, we, we, we generally don't think geographically um, in terms of like where God is. I, I mean, I say that sometimes we do. Like we, we have like certain reverence for certain places. Um, but like in, in the ancient Near East, this was a very specific kind of way of thinking was that God specifically lives in the temple. And if something happens to the temple, that means our God has been weakened or our, our God has been um, neutralized, essentially. So we generally don't think in that way, but imagine you think that God lives somewhere in the world dwelling in some specific place. You would always know, if, as long as that temple was there, you would always know that in spite of everything, Jerusalem would still be there, that God would still be in Jerusalem. So one of the, one of the realities of the world before the siege was there were these Levite priests 
who were specifically trained musicians with special instruments, like harps. Their job was to play these songs, that, and everybody would join in. And they would praise God and celebrate God's love and God's provision for them. But what happens in the text? This guy comes and flattens the temple area. If, if, you, think, if, if you think that you're God's chosen people at this time, and now this foreign king has come and burned down your temple, what does that do to you? If you, if you believe that God dwells in a certain area and you're a priest and your whole job has been to sing these certain songs and to teach other people these songs and now the temple is gone and you're being carried off to Babylon by force, your home has been taken, your temple has been burned, your home has been burned, everything that you know is gone, is flattened. They would, so you would be asking questions. If this had happened to you, I, I imagine you would be asking the question, if we are God's people, why does it seem like everybody else is winning and we're losing. We've seen this a lot as we've been looking through the book of Lamentations, this language of where are you? How long? What, like, what has happened to us? So look at Psalm 137. So in Psalm 137, you have one of these priests, presumably, writing a poem about what it's like to live in Babylon after the fall of Jerusalem. So in Psalm 137, it says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. Zion's another word for Jerusalem. There on the poplars, which is another word, which is a kind of tree. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there, our captors asked us for our songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us, sing us one of the songs of Zion. So they're mocking them, basically saying like, where are your songs now? And so in verse four, it says, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? So they took their harps that they've been training their whole lives to learn how to play, and they hung them on the tree branches as if to say, we don't need these anymore. The priests basically say, enough. There is nothing left to sing about. They've hung up their harps because they have nothing good to sing about. So as we enter into the Christmas season, as we finish up this series on grief and mourning, as we come to the end of the second like, calendar year of this pandemic, I want to talk to people who have hung up their harps. I want to talk to those of us who somewhere inside of us, we feel like there's just nothing good going on. There's, there's nothing worth hoping for. What happens when the Spirit of God encounters the survivors of horrific circumstances? And the question remains, is there an invitation here somewhere? We started off, I mentioned, we're gonna be looking for, is there an invitation for something good? Is there an invitation for some kind of hope? Or, or is there an invitation to take your harps down from the tree branches? So not, not denying all of the pain and the suffering. Like the book of Second Kings goes to great lengths to describe how horrific these events were. And so here we had the priests hanging up their harps. And so the question, the question is left with us, is there anything worth taking your harp back down off the tree branches for? Is there an invitation here? So look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, you have this writer Paul, who's writing to a group of people who've gone through their own kind of struggle and their own kind of torment. And then in uh, verse 11 in chapter 6, it says, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As, as a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. What's he saying? He's saying, we have, we have opened ourselves up. We have poured ourselves out. 
and we have, we, have, we have been vulnerable with you. We have shown you who we really are. We have shown you our struggles and our fears. And somehow you, Corinthians, are withholding that back from us. It's like he's begging them, please don't shut yourselves off. It's like he's saying, don't, don't, don't kill the part of yourself that is capable of feeling all the things that we are, we are meant to feel in the world. Brene Brown writes about this a lot. If you're familiar at all with her, she talks about vulnerability. And um, she has a really well-known TED Talk. Uh, if, if you, I'm, I'm sure a lot of us have seen it already, but uh, where she talks about how, like in studies on vulnerability, one of the things that we learn is that people get really scared to be vulnerable because they've been hurt. And so what happens is we shut off the part of ourselves that is capable of feeling vulnerable because we don't want to be hurt by somebody if we show them our vulnerability. But the problem with that is by shutting ourselves off from the possibility of being hurt, we also shut ourselves off from the, po shut ourselves off from the possibility of feeling love and acceptance and joy. We, we shut ourselves off from the ability to be seen and, and be truly known. So this, what Paul is doing here, Paul, Paul is doing an, <laughs> basically a 2,000-year-old Brene Brown TED Talk. He's basically saying, like, don't, don't let that happen to you. Don't, don't allow yourself to be so shut off that you can't experience some kind of love and grace and hope and uh, community. There are times when we suffer, and it's so much harder to re-engage with the world around us because it hurts so bad, the thing that we went through. It's harder for people to truly know us because we've shut ourselves off. So I would ar argue that the first invitation here, when, when we talk about taking our harps down off the tree branches, the first invitation is, I need to choose to be open again. Because we can't deny the thing that happened. We can't deny the pain that was caused. What we can do is we can choose to not be shut off from future joy and intimacy. So the, the first invitation to take your, your heart down, the first invitation here is to choose to be open again. Don't let yourself die on the inside when you still have life left to live. So uh, take a look at the book of Luke. Uh, there, there, there are several dimensions to this. Uh, in the book of Luke, they're no longer the, there's a new oppressor in town. It's no longer Babylon. It's the Roman Empire. And um, so the, the time of Jesus was a communal time of uh, victimization and guilt. So when Jesus comes, one of the things he's attacking is the spirit of being a victim without any sense of agency or power. Because one of the things that's happened is the Roman Empire, they're, they're, they haven't been taken away to Rome. Rome has come in and taken control over all the things that they hold sacred. So when the Romans came to your village, one of the things that would happen is they would set up a, a battalion of soldiers and go on raids throughout the neighborhood. And they would basically just loot and, and take whatever they wanted to take. And these battalions of soldiers were called legions. So in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, um, I believe, um, I'm, in the, I'm in Romans, that's not going to help us at all. Um, in, in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, it says, They, Jesus and his companions, uh, sailed to a region of, of, uh, of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from the, from the Galilee. Uh, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man, as one is often when you get off a boat. Uh, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had, been, had worn clothes and lived in a house and had lived in tombs. So um, then in jump down to verse 38, it says, um, oh, by, by the way, we're, we're told that the, um, uh, I, I'm sorry, well, let's keep going. In, in verse 30, it says, Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. So one of the things that we learn 
is the name that's given to this group of demons that possesses this man, which is, it's, this is a weird story. Admittedly, this is a weird story. But the name that's given to this is the same name for a Roman battalion that comes into a city and burns it to the ground. So Jesus, in, uh, in anyway, so there, there's a con- within this story, there's a commentary about the oppressors that the people are facing. So then in verse 38, it says, the man from whom the demons, so the demons have been cast out of the man. Then in verse 38 it says, The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told over, all over town how much Jesus has done for him. So Jesus sends the man alone back into his town, and he says, Go tell your story. Jesus meets the victim, calls out strength the survivor doesn't even know he has. And Jesus says, Not only are you going to make it, but your story needs to be heard. So I would argue that the second dimension, or the second invitation here, after, so the first dimension is allow, choose to be open again. The second dimension of after you suffer, at some point, your story needs to be told. At some point, someone needs to hear what you've gone through because maybe they've gone through that too. Maybe you've suffered tremendously. Maybe, maybe it's been a hard couple of years. Maybe it's been a hard five, 10, 15 years, but you're here, you're here today. There are lots of things I've never gone through, but, but you have authority on certain subjects that I will never have the authority on. You can say, I know exactly what that's like. I've been there. Suffering makes us feel like we have nothing to contribute. Suffer- suffering can be very dehumanizing. It can make us feel really small, but we need your perspective and we need your voice. If you've gone through something, I, 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 um, if you've gone through something, then it's possible that somebody who's going through that thing right now needs to hear from you. It's possible that your story is the word of encouragement that people need. So getting your harp down from the tree doesn't involve denying the pain. It says, the pain has shaped me in certain kinds of ways. I, at, at, at the age of 40 now, I've, um, I've been fired from a job. I've struggled with mental illness. I've, um, I, I've dealt with financial insecurity, like there, there are certain things that I've had to go through and there are certain struggles. Um, I've dealt with like kids with various health issues and, and so it's, it's possible that those stories will mean something. But there are things I haven't gone through and maybe you're the one who needs to be the one speaking into, um, in, into what somebody's going through because you've been there. Um, if, if you know anybody who who only ever talks about all the great things that have happened to them. If you know somebody who's just like, well, I graduated from college and then I got this great high paying job and I've been in that ever since and I've just been getting raises the whole time and nothing bad has ever happened to me. How boring is that story? <laughs> like how little do you want to hear from that person? But if you're like, yeah, I lost this job. Um, I lost my partner. Um, my kids went through this thing and I didn't know how to help them. I had a health issue. I, um, I struggled with, with this. We all went through a pandemic and that was really hard at at different levels. It's possible that there is someone who needs to hear your story because you're the the person in their life who's gone through that thing. So getting your harp down out of the tree isn't denying your story, it's telling your story. It's, It's being brutally honest about the thing that you've gone through and the ability to say, and I'm here, I made it. So that's another dimension to this. There's a third dimension to this invitation. Look at Romans chapter eight. That's where I was trying to go a second ago. So in Romans chapter eight, um, beginning in, this is again, this writer Paul, he says uh, in verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves 
who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope is seen. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So we, we have this hope that the whole entire everything will be put back together again. He's talking about, he doesn't just say like we are groaning. He says all of creation is groaning to be put back together again. We groan because the Spirit of God is showing up or showing us that, that things aren't what they're supposed to be. Anytime, if, if you ever encounter something deeply troubling, if you, ever ha- if you ever experience suffering, if you ever see somebody else suffering and you think, surely this isn't the way it's supposed to be, I would argue that the scriptures are saying, yeah, it's not the way it's supposed to be. The whole creation is groaning for renewal and a return to the way things were always meant to be. The pain we feel is an indicator that we are alive and we're in tune with God's creation that says it's not the way it's supposed to be. So what's the invitation here? The invitation here is to give ourselves permission to have some sort of hope, to have some sort of hope that the whole thing is going somewhere, that the whole story is moving in a certain direction. Look at Psalm 30. In Psalm 30, uh, beginning in verse 1, it says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, you, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praise of the Lord, you, his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his, angst, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. The invitation here is give yourself permission to hope and to live and to be awake and alive again, to feel some amount of joy. This is the hardest one for me. Um, for the last, I mean, for the last year and a half or so, I have struggled tremendously with a mental health battle. And it's really hard in the midst of that to feel some sense of like, maybe it's gonna be okay. Maybe, maybe there is some hope and joy on the other side of this battle. It's really, really hard. So, but this is the invitation. The invitation is to give myself permission to have some kind of hope, to hope that tomorrow can be a little bit better than yesterday. So the invitation's here, to, to take your heart down. Again, it's not to deny your story. It's to tell your story. It's to choose to be open again. It's to choose to hope that maybe there's something better tomorrow than there was today. Give yourself permission to have hope and joy. So may we take our harps down out of the tree branches. May we, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of this holiday season that's, I'm sure, filled with all sorts of tension and all sorts of, um, like, two things can be true at once. We're really excited about the holidays, and we're really kind of dreading the holidays. And, or, like, it's been a little, maybe for some of us, it's been a really long time since we've seen certain people, and we don't know how it's going to go. Or maybe there's a phone call we need to make or, um, or, or a conversation we need to have, and it's kind of eating, us, eating away at us and we don't know what to do with that, maybe we're living in some, inside some sort of tension. May you, in the midst of that, find the capacity for hope and joy. May you take your harp out of the tree branches. May you tell your story to people who need to hear it. May you, um, may you be open in ways that perhaps you've closed yourself off. May you find that you're becoming more alive in all kinds of ways. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this invitation to take our harps down out of the tree branches. We thank you that we're not instructed to deny the, str- the struggle and the suffering, but we're invited to go into it and to acknowledge it 
and to live on the other side of it. May we find some sort of redemption in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the sorrow. And for those of us here who are carrying a heavy weight, for those of us here who there's something gnawing away at us, there's something that kept us awake last night, give us some sense of peace, give us some sense of grace, give us some sense of it's going to be okay. Give us hope, give us joy, and may we take our harps down out of the tree branches and sing our songs once again. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This has been the Collective Church Podcast. We post episodes every week on Sundays. If you're interested in supporting our church, you can give at collectivechurch.net slash give. I hope you enjoyed listening.